Yes. Awesome. How are you this morning? Good to see you. Happy Super Sunday. Super Sunday. So I asked Alexa this morning who was going to win the Super Bowl. She was rooting for the Bengals. I, I think I found myself, I was born in LA. I mean, how can I not, you know, root for the Rams today? I remember as a little boy growing up having the Rams, actually an LA team. So to kind of have them back and uh, see what Stafford has done, it's been a fun season. So we're going to have fun this afternoon. I hope you are as well. Um, you know, in the past and hopefully uh, 2023, uh, we're going to be back right in here watching all together and celebrating. But we just thought one more year, good thing to do it like in homes. But hopefully you're going to be celebrating with some friends, some family, having a great time, doing a little barbecue, having fun. And today, in many ways, is a special celebration. It is a super Sunday because we've got a number of people who are going to be baptized this morning. <laughs> usually, usually we do that kind of towards the beginning of service during worship because it is part of our worship to the Lord. But we're going to do something special at the end, and so we're going to, we're going to flip it around and have those baptisms at the end of service, but... I'm so excited for you guys and the families that are here to celebrate with. And hey, we've been in this series over the last couple of weeks from just one chapter, diving deep into Luke chapter 15. It's in Luke chapter 15 that Jesus, who's the master storyteller, tells three different stories. He tells a story about things that were lost and found. And he tells a story about a lost sheep who the shepherd goes hunting, searching until he finds that sheep. Then he tells another story about a coin that was lost, kind of a woman's precious possession. She had 10 coins. One of them was lost. And so she does everything she can until she finds that coin. And then he tells this third story and it's the lost son or Maybe some of you have heard this story and kind of termed the prodigal son who had run off. And, but before we get kind of into, especially that third story, we're going to unpack that a little bit deeper today about this runaway prodigal son. I want us to remember and reflect for a second, who was Jesus telling these stories to? You know, because oftentimes when we're reading through the Bible, like he's just talking to groups of people, and maybe he's talking to his you know, closest followers, his disciples. But in the beginning of Luke 15, the first two verses, it says that there were two specific groups who were there who Jesus is actually telling these three stories about things that were lost and found. And he's telling it to two specific groups of people. There were the sinners, and there was the religious folk, right? There was, there was like people who, who were sinners, and then there's people who genuinely were doing their best to serve God in the way that they thought best, and it was to those people that Jesus tells these stories. So it's in the first two verses. I want you to take a look at the first two verses with me of Luke 15, because this is how Luke records this. He says, now 
the tax collectors and sinners all um, were all gathering around to hear Jesus. And here's witness, what's this up with the tax collectors? Back in Jesus' day, tax collectors were known to be thieves, greedy, and stole even from their own people. They were kind of like, you know, this was like Jewish territory in Israel, right? But they were working with the Romans, and the Romans kind of gave them authority and power, you know, to kind of take taxes for Caesar, but they would take their own and line their own pockets with it. You might remember a guy named Zacchaeus was one of those guys who uh, turned his life over to the Lord. Well, these guys were pretty notorious. People hated them. And so they're lumped in together with the sinners. Everybody say sinners. sinners. These are just all the bad guys. These are people that are doing their own thing, doing wrong. They were not even trying to follow after God. But here we find that these tax collectors, these dirty, rotten, scoundrel, thieving, greedy people, and all the rest of the sinners, it says that they were, wow, this is interesting, they were gathering around to listen to Jesus. There was something so compelling about Jesus that even people who were far from God, and they knew they were far from God, these were people that were not trying to follow God, but somehow they were drawn in. They knew there was something about Jesus that was different, and so these people that knew they were lost were coming to hang out with Jesus. But then there's the second group, and it's in verse two. It says, but the Pharisees, and these are like the religious leaders of the day. There was kind of a, a few kind of leading groups of Jewish leaders who were the teachers of the law and those who literally like had legal power like over the Jewish people in the temples and things. It was the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. They were muttering. So they were there too. They, they like couldn't help themselves because they did not like Jesus. Why did they not like Jesus? Because he was hanging around with these sinners. Why is this guy who is like talking about God and claiming to be God's son, why would he be hanging around with sinners? It didn't like make logical sense to him, but more than that, it made them angry because it went against everything that they were trying to tell the people, stay away from bad people. Stay away from sinners. And here Jesus is welcoming them in. And what does it say? The Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered, this man, this Jesus welcomes sinners and he even eats with them. It's interesting they throw in that little eats with them because what we're envisioning here is almost like a little picnic happening, right? It's like, I don't know, I, I envision them like outside in this beautiful field, maybe some olive trees. And they're like, they brought their lunch. They're hanging out. Sinners offering Jesus, hey, want some of my fish? He's like, yeah, you know? And then Jesus dives in to these three stories about things that were lost and found. But what we need to recognize is that Jesus was telling these stories directly to two groups of people. And each of the stories contain really amazing, beautiful, powerful, and challenging insights to both those who are sinners and to the religious folk. 
Each of the three stories was told to those two specific groups because Jesus wasn't just telling stories to entertain people. He was telling stories that would bring transformation to people. These are transforming stories. And so we find Jesus telling these stories to these two groups of people. But I believe that all of us, all of us, could find ourselves more aligned to one of those two groups than the other. Either I think that we view ourselves as sinners or as religious people. Let me explain that. Either we are people who know that we are lost and that we can't dig ourselves out of the mess that we're in and that we need salvation. We need help from outside to help bring rescue, to help bring restoration to those things that have been lost. We either recognize our lostness or, on the other hand, we don't think we're lost at all. So why would I come to Jesus? Because I have life all figured out. I know what it takes to like make life work. And that's where these religious people were and where they found themselves is that they thought they had life and religion all figured out. And so Jesus tells these, two, these three stories to these two groups of people, and I believe that as we listen to these three, as we've been doing these three stories, as we've been doing over the last couple of weeks, that we can find ourselves in these stories. But today, I wanna look specifically, like I said, dive deeper into that third story about the lost son, the prodigal son the runaway. Because I believe that it's here that Jesus really shows this contrast to these two groups of people, the sinners and the religious folk, those who know they're lost and those who are quite certain, oh, no, no, I'm not lost at all. So Jesus tells this story and it begins in verse 11 of chapter 15. So let's just read the beginning of it because Jesus paints this amazing picture He says, there's a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he doesn't wait for his dad to die to like claim his inheritance. Now he kind of, he grabs it. He takes it. So he, the father, divided the property between them, these two brothers. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. This younger brother, this prodigal, and we've talked over the last couple of weeks, the prodigal actually means someone who has recklessly wasted things. And here this this young son takes half of his dad's wealth, half of this kind of generational resource, takes it off to this foreign land and parties hard. So hard that he's just like, the next round's on me and all the next rounds are on me. He just goes through his, his dad's money and blows it all. And then two things happen in the story next that Jesus tells that happened kind of simultaneously 
his money runs out and all the food runs out. He said all the money, he's like, he, he squandered it all and then a famine hits the land. And I'll tell you, when the money runs out and the food runs out, party is over, right? Party is over over. And even these new friends that he thought he had, like, oh, my partying buddies, guess what? None of them want anything to do with, with this guy either. They're like, see ya. You got no more money? You don't have food either? We're out of here. We're taking care of ourselves. And so he gets to this point where he had nearly lost everything. I mean, he'd already lost his family. He'd lost his reputation. Any righteousness that he'd had, like right living, was gone. Even his new friends had taken off. He'd really nearly come to the end of his rope. But he, but he, he, he has this thought, and he's like, you know what? I've been knocked down, but I could get up again. Don't say amen yet, bro. <laughs> he, he's like, I've been knocked down. But, but I, can, I can do this. I am young. I am strong. I am resourceful. You know what? All my friends are gone. All this stuff is gone. But you know what? I still got breath in my lungs. I'm going to keep fighting. I am going to roll up my sleeves, and I am going to just work harder to dig myself out of this mess. If I just work harder, I'm going to get myself back in the game. That's what he thought. Amen? Yeah. <laughs> that, that's what he does. That's what, Jesus, that's what Jesus says. And you know what? Many of us, I believe, find ourselves in that same kind of mindset. Life has gotten challenging. We're looking at our lives, and there's different kinds of loss. And we have this thought that if I just roll up my sleeves and work harder, I can dig myself out of this hole. I'm going to figure this out, right? But here's the question. What happens when we realize that no matter how hard I work, there's going to be loss in my life that I am never going to be able to find again? I am never going to, it's like, listen, my, you know, people have lost money you know, stock market or job or just bad decisions. And then they can like, earn more money, but can they, can they replace the peace that they have? Can they ever get rid of all the anxiety that, that comes along with, I don't know where, where my next check is coming from. We, we read stories about people who are extraordinarily wealthy, who are still living with the anxiety that could all be gone tomorrow. Well, you know, what about people who like, I can just work hard and kind of claw my way back to sobriety. Praise the Lord for that. That's awesome. But what about the marriage that they burned through in the middle of their addiction? You know? It's like when you, when you realize that no matter how much work I do, there is still going to be some of these things of loss that I will never be able to regain. And I believe that that's where this son finds himself because he says, I'm going to roll out my sleeves, going to go, go back to work. Because what Jesus says next is that the son went to work, to try to figure this out on his own. If I just work harder, 
I mean, get back in the game. But what he discovers is that the only job that he can find is slopping pigs. And it wasn't sufficient. He couldn't work hard enough to get himself out of the hole that he had dug and the loss that he had experienced. And it says that he was starving. And no matter how hard he worked, that wasn't going to change that. It says that he longed to even eat this slop that he was feeding to the pigs. His loss was so profound. It was so big that he was not going to be able to work hard enough to dig himself out of this mess. And it's then, it's only then, that the son realizes that life was not going to work out the way he thought. And it's here in the story that Jesus says these words, and then he came to his senses. Listen, that's, that's a big idea that Jesus drops in there. Because there's this moment where the son finally realizes that I am not going to be able to dig myself out of this, this hole that I'm in. No matter how hard I work, I cannot do this on my own. And then it says, you know, that he has this inner conversation. He's like, you know what? My father still has resource. Yeah, I took, I, yeah, I took half of like his wealth, but man, he's still got land. He still has servants. There's people still working the fields. And he's like, I, I need to go back home. He realized the only way to go forward was to go back and to admit that I've lost everything. I am lost. This has not worked out. And what he's imagining is that his dad would never welcome him back as a son, but he's like, but you know what, if, if I go back, I can at least throw myself at my dad's mercy. Maybe he will allow me to become a servant in the fields, but at least I won't starve. Now, he knew full well the dad could just reject him, right? The dad could just say, you know, like, you've really screwed up. I don't want you back in my house. Just head on down the road. It's like, well, I'm going to die here anyway. So I might as well, like, at least risk it. But he's thinking the best possible scenario is that he's going to be, right, a servant, but not starving in his dad's house. So he has this inner conversation and this is where we pick back up in the story. But I'm telling you, at this point in the story, the sinners that were gathered around listening to Jesus, those people who knew they were lost, oh my gosh, they are on the edges of their seats. Well, they probably weren't on seats, but the little rock or whatever they were sitting on, they're just like leaning in at this point going, what is gonna happen in the story? Because they knew this was their story. They knew they were lost. They knew they had messed up. They knew they had dug holes so deep that they would not be able to climb out of on their own. They're just like, what is the father going to do? And so we pick back up in the story of verse 20 in Luke 15 and says, so he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw 
him. I love this because you get this picture of the dad just looking, watching, waiting, never giving up hope on this son who had been gone for so long. We get this picture of this dad who was longing, never giving up on his son. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled, not with anger, but with compassion. And he ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son, who was still filthy, scrawny, smelled like pigs, threw his arms around him and kissed him. Then the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and you. I love that. Like he recognizes how lost he really was. This wasn't just like a relational break. This was like a break, my relationship to my heavenly father as well. I've sinned against God and I've sinned against you. I am no longer worthy. Man, there's a lot that we could unpack in that phrase right there because I think that so many of us find ourselves at that place of just feeling so lost, so empty, so worthless. And that's what he's saying. I'm worthless. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father, it says, doesn't listen to him. (laughs) Doesn't even respond to that. But rather, it says, But the father said to his servants, it's like he he hugs son, kisses son. Son's like repenting, like saying, man, I've messed up. I've been lost. I've been, you know, I'm not, I'm not worthy. I'm worthless. And the dad doesn't even listen. He's like hugging to somebody. He's like turning over his shoulder, talking to his servants. Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Then, you know that fattened calf, that one we've been like waiting for someday to have this huge party? Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Now, what does this dad do? You know, the son thought, man, I'm gonna get rejected. My dad's gonna be angry. May reject me, maybe just throw me out, leave me to die, leave me to starve. But what does he discover instead? He finds that his dad embraces him, right? Clothes him, celebrates him. He went from longing to eat pig food, to having this amazing prime beef barbecue in a day. What a picture of how God just restores our lives. It's like everything that he thought he had lost forever was now being restored. Every dream that he had had was now coming back to life, going from death to life, as the dad says, what a great picture of restoration. And man, when these sinners that were leading in, here's what the dad does. Could you imagine just the hope 
that was like rekindled in their own hearts and minds is they're leaning in going, no way. The father would do that to that kid. And it's like, maybe there is hope for me. Because what Jesus is doing here is he's like, like I said, he's talking to these two groups here. And they're all of a sudden like, oh my gosh. I want to just talk quickly just about three things that it says that the dad did there. Things that the dad restored to this son's life. Number one was there was the embrace. There was the restored relationship. You know what? This is exactly what Jesus does in our own stories, that restored relationship. It's in 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 18 where Paul's reflecting on this and says, whoever is a believer in Christ is a new creation. The old way of living has disappeared. A new way of living has come into existence. God has done all this. Like the Father has done all of this. Everything that was before is gone and everything is made what? It's new. It's new. It's a new day. There's a new opportunity in the Lord. And then he goes on and he says, he has restored our relationship with him. With who? With the Father, through Christ. This is why Jesus came, to restore relationship with God. Listen, nothing else matters more than this. I mean, listen, the clothes that came, the ring that came, that's all great. But you know what? Nothing mattered more to this son than to feel his father's arms wrapped around him. He'd feared anger and rejection, but what he received was love and acceptance. Do you think it'd be any different for you or me? (laughs) No. Nothing matters more than this embrace. But then he gets even more than the embrace because he gets this robe. Servants, bring the best robe. And listen, when he said this, everybody in that audience, the sinners and the religious folk, they knew immediately what Jesus was referring to when he used that example. Because there was this picture from their own prophet, Isaiah, who had used this same picture of this robe, and it was the robe of righteousness. That everything that I've done wrong, that is like covered up with this, and the illustration that Isaiah used was this robe, that like being covered up with this robe of God's righteousness. This is what Isaiah had said in Isaiah 61.10. He said, I will find joy in the Lord. I will delight in my God. He has dressed me in the clothes of salvation. All those dirty rags replaced by God. And it says, he has wrapped me in the robe of righteousness. What an amazing picture. And again, we find that that is the very thing that Jesus does for us. No matter how dirty we've gotten, no matter what we have done in life, Jesus is like, yeah, okay, I recognize that. But let me tell you what I have for you instead. And he brings this robe of righteousness 
Again, Paul talks about this and he, in his letter to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 5.21, Paul is writing and he says, God made him who had no sin, this is Jesus, to be sin for us. In other words, to take our place, to take all the things that we had done and to take that on himself. But then there's this great exchange that happens because he says he takes our sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It's like this is not a righteousness because I've done so much right. In fact, just the opposite. I have messed up, I know I'm lost, I know that I don't have righteousness on my own, but it's like, oh, this robe of right, this gift, something that I did not earn, something that I don't deserve, it is the free gift of God's grace that he is willing to come to us, no matter how stinky and ugly we are, and clothe us with it and cleanse us. This is cleansing work that he does putting this robe of righteousness. And then there's this third thing that he does. And hey, don't just bring the robe. Bring a ring. Put it on his finger. And there's this restoration of authority. In fact, this is authority that he didn't even possess when he was a son in the house to begin with. This is, this is a ring that the dad would wear. Because in that era of time, there was what was called a signet ring. It had more authority than someone's signature because it was into it was intricately carved like the family crest. It was uniquely made so that when like they had like a legal document, you were buying land or selling your camel or whatever you were doing, you know, it's like like to make it official, you know, it's like it's all written up and there would be this wax and they'd take that signet ring showing that I have the authority to make this transaction. I can transact business on behalf of my family because I have this ring. And the dad says, don't just get the robe, get the ring. Get the ring. Like this son who did not deserve any authority, right, in that house, none of it. God's saying, you know what? There is nothing that you have done that is gonna stop you from walking in the authority that I'm gonna give you. I'm going to empower you to live your life for me. I'm gonna empower you to live on mission for me. That nothing you have done in your life is gonna steal away the authority that I have for you. It is all being restored in this young man's life. And man, again, those sinners that were there listening, they're probably cheering this story by now. Like, oh my gosh, there's restored relationship. There's restored righteousness. There's restored authority in my life. I thought that everything had been wasted. There's was no, I'm worthless. Just like this kid thought he was worthless. And you just, can you just imagine just the cheers kind of raising in the, you know, in the crowd as these sinners are going, yes. But then there's this other group. It's the religious folk. They ain't so excited. Because they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Dads do not welcome in prodigals. And they certainly don't like give them the best robe and 
put a ring on their finger, like restoring them to places. Those things must be earned. Those are things that you have to work to get to that place where you finally deserve those things. Listen, folks, because that's the way religion always works. I want everyone's attention because you need to hear this. That is the way religion always works. That we have to work for it. I have to get to that place where I've got my life so cleaned up, right, that no one would be able to point at me and say, well, you don't deserve that. Or you do deserve that, I should say. Religion always is this works-based approach to coming to the Father. And Jesus was there to flip that script completely upside down. Because Jesus was wanting them to know that this is by grace alone. This is my gift to you. He didn't earn this. It's my gift. And so there's the story of this older brother that Jesus goes into, and you can read it later on your own, but this older brother, like, he just is like, I ain't partying with them. I'm out of here. I deserve this. I deserve to be honored. I deserve to be celebrated. And it says that the dad, and I love this, the dad didn't just like, okay, do whatever. It says the dad went after him too. Because you know what? God never gives up on the runaway, but God also doesn't give up on all of us who think that we've got it all together and life figured out. God even loves religious people. (laughs) Thank God. (laughs) Because I think sometimes we jump between those two groups, don't we? Sometimes we recognize we're lost and then other times, no, we think we got life all figured out. God never gives up on us. Says the dad goes after the son, pleads with him, come man, come back to the party. The son's just so angry because you shouldn't have been gracious toward this stupid brother of mine. I'm the one who deserves it. And I love that Jesus doesn't tell us what happens with this older brother because it's like the twist ending. We know that the, the prodigal, the runaway, came home and was fully restored. But it le- Jesus like leaves everybody like hanging, like wondering, like, oh, what's gonna happen? Jesus does, and I think Jesus does that very intentionally because he brings all of us to that point of saying, what are we going to do? Are we gonna turn around and recognize that we're lost? Or are we gonna keep on thinking that we have life all figured out? We're gonna end our gathering today with two forms of celebration. Two ways that we're gonna celebrate God's restorative work. We're gonna receive communion. In fact, when you came in, if you, you should have received a little individual serving communion cup. If you didn't, if you could just wave your hands and someone's gonna bring, we got, we got someone right up here, someone in the back, some people over here that didn't yet get their communion. Uh, Larry, if you can make sure that these people get uh, their communion. Oh, we got people coming over, thank you. Those of you that are watching on home, uh, watching online at home or wherever you may be, would love for you to 
get something to use to participate with us in this. Because this tells the story uniquely. But then we're also gonna celebrate those getting baptized. And so those getting baptized, ladies to the left, guys to the right, we're so excited about your journey with the Lord. So ladies out this door, guys to the right, and we're going to, uh, after communion, we're gonna celebrate with you the good work that God has been doing in your story, in your life. And guess what? I love this. We're gonna have the safari kids come back in and they're gonna get to celebrate by watching some of their friends get baptized uh, this morning as well, which I just think is fantastic. Um, in fact, uh, Bill and Larry, when those safari kids come back in over here, you know what would be really cool is if you would, instead of having them stand in the back, let's just have them come and fill these seats. In fact, you ladies right there, just come, come on up to the front row to make room for safari kids. Tara, Tara do you want to come up with them? Yeah. We'll just make room for a bunch of kids to pile in. Communion. You can start to figure this little package out, even as I'm doing. At first, if you peel back that first layer, there's the, there's the little cracker. As we read through the New Testament, what we come to realize is that the bread always symbolizes, Jesus said this, he said, this is my body. This represents Jesus' brokenness on the cross. He did this for us. In fact, you know, we've been talking about being lost and found. And Jesus says this in Luke 19, just four chapters later. We've been looking at Luke 15. But in Luke 19, verse 10, Jesus says this, for the son of man came to seek and save the lost. To seek and to save the lost. Everything that was lost, Jesus said, my mission was to come and find it. That's why these, Jesus was welcoming who the sinners. Hey, gather around. I got some stories for you. You're gonna like them. Because everything that you thought was lost in your life, oh, I'm telling you, in me, those things can be found. But when we're ready to receive this, when we're ready to take this little wafer symbolizing God's broken body, I think each of us needs to have the question go through our own mind. Do I recognize that I'm lost like those sinners did? Or do I think like those religious folk that I've got it all figured out and that I'm, I'm not lost? I don't need Jesus. See, because it says that Jesus came to seek and to save those things that were lost. Jesus came. Jesus came for those who were lost. And so today, may we all recognize our lostness. 
And just like that young man, that prodigal son, that we would come to that place of recognizing, listen, right here, that we have dug a hole that we cannot get out of just by working harder. Religion will never take us where we need to go in life or with the Father. It is about receiving this free gift that he has made available for us. So would you take and would you eat? Jesus, thank you for making a way. Thank you for making a way. Thank you for coming and seeking and saving those things that were lost. And then friends, there's the cup. That juice that literally represents the blood that Jesus shed on the cross. When it says that he came to seek and to save those things that were lost, please don't imagine that that Jesus just came like and walked around for a few years and told some good stories. No, Jesus said, I am seeking all the way to that place where I find you. I'm going to do everything within my power to bring rescue and to help to those areas of your life that you will never be able to work hard enough to get figured out. I'm even gonna shed my own blood and I'm gonna die taking upon myself your brokenness and your lostness so that you might have life in me. How many of you know life is in the blood? And so today we drink and we celebrate together the life that is possible in Jesus alone. Would you drink? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. God is so good. We just celebrated the goodness of God. And no, no matter where you are in the story, God wants to embrace you. He's a God who embraces. And so today, we're going to celebrate. But we want to take a moment to give you opportunity to respond to this God that is so good. And we don't want you to leave until you have a moment. I'm going to invite the prayer team up. And we're going to ask if you're ready to say yes to a God that's good. That's what it starts with. It starts with a yes. And so I'm going to ask you to be as bold as that son who came home. And I'm going to ask if you're out there and you're needing to say yes, I want to come home. I want that embrace. I want God's embrace. I want you to raise your hand so I can acknowledge you out there. It's just a simple yes. And I want you not to leave until you come up for prayer. For those of you that need to have that embrace, come on up. Maybe you want to say yes openly. Or maybe you need God to touch you and you need healing. Or you need something. Don't leave here. That's what the prayer team's for. But I also want to encourage you, those that are online, if you're wanting to feel that embrace, there are pastors online 
that are willing to be there for you, just type in and let them know that you need to say yes today. And if you're in the courtyard and you're wanting to make your way up, there's somebody up front for you. And you, I'm asking you, don't leave until you say yes to God. He's a good God. And today we get to celebrate. Our pastors have put together some cupcakes and punch. And so don't leave. Go into the courtyard and celebrate the goodness of God. Amen? Amen. Let's give him a clap offering. Thank you, Lord. You're so good. You're a good God. You are dismissed, but make your way forward if you want prayer.